Um, we're going to go ahead and, and get into to God's Word as you take your seats this morning. Good morning. Uh, this is this is always the hardest part of encouraging you all to be friendly to each other is is getting you back. So, um, but good morning. It's 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 good to be with you guys. It's um, we're going to continue this morning in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, uh, we are in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's maybe one under your seat uh, or the seat in front of you. Uh, we'll also have it on the screen, so you're welcome to watch it there. Pull out your, feel free to look at it on your phone. We'd appreciate it if you don't text, um, especially me. Don't text me right now. That be, that has happened. That actually happened a few weeks ago. Somebody, I think Scott might have texted me the service, like the attendance for the morning, and I, it popped up and it really threw me off. So, but um, uh, try not to do that. But uh, we, the whole reason, like we encourage you. Not to do that is because we want to focus on, on the Lord right now and, and give Him our, our full attention so that he has, we give Him space and opportunity to change us. Um, and so we're in, in Matthew uh, chapter 6. We're, we're going to get to that in just a, a moment. Um, but when I, I was growing up, I st- I, if you ask Dottie, she may tell you I'm still growing up. Uh, if you ask Jackie, she'll definitely tell you I'm still growing up with all the grief I give her, uh, but when I was younger, um, I, was, I was pretty insecure in a lot of areas. Um, I, I still battle that in, in certain areas now. I, I sometimes come across pretty confident, and I think I actually did then, but there was actually an underlining insecurity um, that manifest, manifested itself in, in, in different ways, um, but one of those ways um, that it manifested itself was I just struggled with, with being wrong. Like I, I think when I when other people my perception is when other people saw me as saw me wrong for something, um, it kind of like communicated weakness and I didn't like to like be thought of as as weak, um, and I, I also I didn't like to be embarrassed I didn't like to be made fun of um, I think because I wasn't incredibly secure in who God had made me um, I I really struggled when when people. Um, would say negative things about me or even just think negative things about me. Um, so I didn't like to look bad in front of other, other people. Um, and so I can remember sitting in, in class as a kid, um, elementary school, middle school, high school, and the teacher would ask a question, right? And it was a question that I clearly knew the answer to. I don't know if anybody can relate to this or not, but I clearly knew the answer to it but I wouldn't put my hand up because in the back of my mind was just this little voice saying, ah, you, you're probably not right about that. And if you're not right about that, it's going to be really embarrassing if you give the wrong answer. And she says, nope, and goes on to another student and they get it right. And so I, somebody else put their hand up, give the answer, and it was what I thought it was. And it would happen time and time and time again because what if I was wrong? What would people think of me? Would they know that I'm not perfect? Would they still like me? Would they make fun of me? These are the thoughts that went through my mind. I think from time to time I still struggle with this. Obviously, less so now, but I still struggle with it. So earlier this week I was meeting with another pastor um, uh, over coffee. 
Um, and we were talking, and I, he said, How are, how's everything going? And I shared a lot of things that were happening in the life of Living Legacy and in my life personally, and it was all real good and happy and, and positive. And then he went on, and he shared about a struggle that he had been facing, a really kind of personal thing. And he, um, he was just really transparent. And it was like incredibly refreshing. It was like he was doing like, he was like being the polar opposite of what I did when I was a kid, you know? He didn't really care what I thought about him. He didn't care what other people thought of him, but he was just going to kind of share what was going on and put everything out on, on the table. And at the end of our time together, we prayed for one another. And, and during the prayer, God reminded me that while he had been transparent and honest and open about what was going on in his life, I hadn't. I only share positive things. Not at all opening up about any struggles I face in my life. And trust me, I still struggle. And I started to think about why that was. Now, after the prayer. Like, I didn't do all of that during the prayer. But, like, uh, after the prayer, I started to think, why was that? And I, I think where I came to was because I was worried of what he might think of me. I was worried that he might not like me or he might judge me. Do you ever worry about things? Do you, actually, what, what do you worry about? This is not rhetorical. Um, I'd love to know. Does anybody worry about things? And now here's the deal. When we do stuff like this and I open up, I need, I need everybody to be like, like offer a healthy transparency. We are not asking for your deepest, darkest, like most kind of horrible sin right now. So like there's a time that we want to talk about those things. This is probably not the venue for it. But, are there some things that you worry about that you could share here? Anybody worry about anything? Maggie. Maggie worries about her dog. Okay, good. Someone else had a hand up back here. Yeah. Losing your job. Yeah, I think we can all appreciate that. As a Baptist pastor, I have known lots of pastors to lose their job. Actually, in the first four months that they were there. So that's been on my mind, right? You know, so uh, uh, I can relate. I can relate. Anybody else? Yeah, Mickey. He wants to be understood. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah, Patty. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's good. That's good. Somebody back here. Yeah, Rich. Mm, that's a good one. Letting people down, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Cindy and then Jackie. Yeah. There you go. You've got a lot of other kids to take care of. So definitely. Jackie. Hmm. Raising your kids. Yes, that's good. Yeah, one last one. Worried about getting in trouble in school. Yeah, totally. Totally. So we all have these things that that we worry about. Some of them are small. 
in, in the scope of things. Some of them are pretty big in the scope of things. But we all worry. And this morning's text is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And Jesus talks about worry. And so, like, after hearing from you, I'm pretty sure that this applies to all of us right now in the midst of where we are. So let's read this text, and we're going to talk about it a little bit and try to, try to make some application, application to our lives. So, and before I read it, let me, let me pray for us one more time. Uh, Father, I thank you for the transparency that, that folks offered this morning. I thank you for the example of, for that, that that is to me, that we, we can share and be honest about the good things and also the things that we struggle with in our lives. And um, not, not be worried about what, what our brothers and sisters will think of us, but we, we can be encouraged knowing that they're going to love us and support us and care for us through those things. They'll carry us when we can't carry ourselves. And um, they, they will prod us on when we, when we start to stall out. And they will rejoice with us when we rejoice. And so, Lord, this morning we would just humbly ask that we could come together as a people, not be a bunch of individuals in this place, but we could be the body of Christ And that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we could come to a better understanding, not just of the words on this page, but your word and your heart. I pray that we could get to know you better, Father. And that as we get to know you better, our lives are changed because we just naturally start to love you more and want to give more of ourselves in love to you and to others. And so, Lord, we give you this time and we give you ourselves, we give you our family here. We pray that you would do a great work in us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And uh, we have this. It says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus tells us not to worry. What is worry? The English word essentially means, and this is a definition um, from Google, give way to anxiety or uneasiness to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. It has a negative connotation, right? It's never really used positively. The word we translate worry in Matthew chapter 6 is actually a Greek word that, um, when more literally translated, conveys the sense of being drawn in different directions. Drawn in different directions. It's like you can't get to where you're supposed to go because you're 
you have like all these different things pulling you not that way, but this way and, and that way and that way and, and, and down and every, everywhere except to where you're going. And so it stalls out your progress toward that thing that you're supposed to be doing. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been making dinner and the kids have 50,000 questions, needs, requests that distract you from cutting the onion or getting the meatloaf in the oven or setting the table? It happens to me most nights. Yeah, Maggie's saying, yes, I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so 6.30 comes around and your dinner is still ingredients, right? Not, not a good thing. Or have you ever been at work and have some very specific object for your day? You open your laptop and immediately you get several emails about old projects that need renewed attention. Your boss stops by your desk asking you for information on a project that hasn't even begun and you get several texts from a friend in crisis who wants to have lunch (laughs) that you know will last past the hour that you've allotted for your lunch. And as a result, you leave the office at 6.30 having made no progress on the original objective you set out to accomplish that day. That's the connotation of worry. Jesus is saying worry is like this. It's a distraction. And much like the definition of the English word worry, it's never positive. It's it's focusing on a difficulty or struggles rather than something pure, positive, hope-filled, and life-giving. It's that thing that takes our attention off the primary objective and puts it on something non-essential. And all of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. You have so many demands on you. And I think, at least if you're like me, we oftentimes worry that they're not all going to be accomplished. Your financial future seems unsure. Your kids are struggling, and so you worry about them. Your parents are declining in health. You're invited to a party at a friend's house, and you know stuff's going to be happening that you shouldn't be into. But if you don't go, what are they going to think of us? And all these things kind of boil down to you worrying, agonizing, fretting, over what will happen. And sometimes I think my worry kind of gets me to the point where I just want to kind of sit in a corner, in a ball, and kind of do nothing. It paralyzes us. It keeps us from kind of getting to where we're supposed to be going. What worry does is it negatively distracts. And Jesus actually tells us not to worry. He doesn't say... In this situation, it's okay, but in this situation, definitely not. He says, you should not worry at any time. And what it really seems like he's trying to communicate is not so much don't feel the emotion of worry, to suppress it, like to suppress your anxiety, to suppress your fear. But what seems more realistic, beneficial, and productive I think is what he's, what he's really trying to challenge us in, it, and, and the church to do in general, is to not get so distracted. Let me, let me take a moment to, or let's together, uh, we're going to have the scripture up here again on the screen, and together, I'd like us to read our text from today, but instead of worry, I've plugged in dis, uh, some form of distracted, okay? And, and we're going to read that together in, in this new form. So, I'll I'll lead us, but if we could do it as a community. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not get distracted by your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, through distraction, add a single hour to your life? And why do you get distracted by clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not get distracted saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not get distracted by tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Corporately, two ways I see like worry or distraction most readily manifest itself through our life as a church is oftentimes through prayer and worship. I recently heard a Christian leader comment that one of the most formidable enemies of genuine, authentic, God-honoring worship is a sense of self-consciousness. And what he was basically trying to communicate was that when we become self-conscious, we are worried about what other people think of us. We're concerned that they're going to have negative thoughts about how we carry ourselves. If we say amen during a service, or um, if we sing loud. I don't sing well. Like, if I'm to be honest, and those of you who sit like in this area know it, because I sing loudly, but I don't sing well. And I think sometimes, though, our concern about not sounding good keeps us from singing, not just with our mouths, but allowing our heart to really... Sometimes, have you ever experienced like where you're just so full like of the Lord, like you're just so overwhelmed by His goodness and His mercy and His love for you that it just needs to come out? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have... But unfortunately, sometimes because of my self-consciousness, because of my worry about what other people will think about how I carry myself, I push it down. I don't let it out. And the same thing happens in prayer, right? How many times have we been in a group and the leader said, okay, who will pray for us now? And what ends up happening when that, when that goes on? Everybody's head goes down. Because everybody's self-conscious about what they'll say and what people will think about what they say. We're not. We're worried that they're going to judge us because we we stumble over a word or or or, or we just say something that that is wrong. We we and 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 it's like the enemy of this this I, this is what he's getting at. This this worry is like the enemy of our prayer life, oftentimes corporately, and our worship life corporately. We're worried about how others will perceive us. We're worried about our image. We're worried about how we look or act or sound. 
And when we do that, the attention is taken off the Lord and it's put on ourself. So what's the solution? How do we take on worry and distraction and overcome them? Well, Jesus clearly gives us the solution and the solution is not to just confront the emotion, to say, don't worry, just distract yourself. Like, distract yourself from distraction. That's not what he's saying. Jesus, in verse 33, says this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, the root cause of, of worry <laughs> uh, 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 is this distraction off of him and coming onto us. We worry because we are completely, like, we are, we are sufficiently, like, unable to provide for what we need. We just can't do it. And so Jesus says, you don't get rid of worry by working harder or um, by, you know, making more money or by taking voice lessons so you can sing better in front of all of your brothers and sisters, uh, or, or write out all your prayers and have them in your back pocket to be prepared to read when somebody calls on you to pray in front of a group of people, you know, or, or to get more degrees so that if you lose your job, you have other things to fall back on. Or you know, He doesn't say any of that. What Jesus says is to overcome worry is to focus on Him. We need to live for Him by following the kingdom practices He gives us through the Gospels and, and the Sermon on the Mount, these things that we've been talking about, we, basically what He's saying is we must take our attention off ourselves and give it back to Him. We need not live by the world's principles and practices. Those are distractions. And they lead to death. Rather, we need to live by His principles which lead to life. That's the hope of Easter, by the way. Jesus is life. His instruction, His teaching, His sacrifice are all life-giving. Jesus even said this, right? He said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in Matthew 10, He says, and if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for Me, you will find it. If you focus on yourself, it's a losing battle. Worry is going nowhere. But if you focus on Him, it will flee. When we focus on the things of this world, whatever they may be, some of you mentioned kids or jobs, or I I talked about my image, how others perceive me, we are always left wanting. There, there are at times, I guess, a sense of fulfillment from this world and the things that it offers, the things that we pursue, but they are never lasting or complete. Um, as much as we get from pursuing kind of worldly pursuits, it's never enough. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you talk to somebody, most people... Um, who are pursuing joy or happiness through money, 
they, you ask them, well, when will you be happy? Well, if I hit this level. And then they get to that level and you ask them, are you happy now? Well, no, I actually need to get here. And then they arrive at that place and you say, are you happy now? And they say, actually, no, I actually need to get here. Because it's, it's just never enough. It's never enough. And um, if I look to my wife and what she does for me to make me really like fulfilled, like that's never going to be enough. I promise you that. Because like, like if it's the meal she cooks me, I don't know about you, but like an hour after I eat, I am starving again. Like I just have, I don't know what's wrong with me. I eat like a, like two meals every night, one at like six and then one at like 10 right before I go to bed because I just, I'm just starving. And like she, she can never make me enough food to keep me satisfied. If you're looking to a job, you're going to get tired of it. If you're looking to like movies or entertainment, after that movie ends, after Endgame ends, right? Like, and it's like three and a half hours long. Like, so you think if any movie is going to satisfy you, it's going to be that one. It leaves you wanting because you just want more. And so what we end up doing is worrying, well, how am I going to get more? Are they going to make another movie? Is she going to make me any more food? Can I make more money? And we worry and we worry and we worry because we are trying to fill this need that we can't fully fulfill. And if we can't fulfill it, then we're not going to have it. And that causes us anxiety and worry. And what it does is it distracts us from the one who can fulfill our needs. That is worry. Notice here that Jesus actually highlights worries that are founded in necessity. Food and clothing. Please don't ever make clothing an extra, okay? Like, (laughs) we need you to have clothing. And we need you to have food. You have to have those. And and, and if if there's anything in life that we should be worried about, it should be these things. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't even have to worry about these. It's not just the movies and entertainment and enjoyment and money. It's like... The necessities of life. He said, don't worry about them. You don't have to worry about them. You can care about them. That's fine. But you don't have to worry about them. Because what worry does is takes the response, takes our focus off of him to provide them and puts it on us to provide them and it distracts us from the actual source. Too often, we take responsibility for things that are not our responsibility. In fact, in life, as believers in Jesus Christ, there's very little that we're responsible for. When Jesus was led to the wilderness by the Spirit and Satan came to tempt him, Jesus modeled how we're to like live in regard to worry. Right? It was like, Jesus. Uh, Scripture tells us that then Jesus was led to the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So, like worry, right? Like, how am I going to get food? I'm in the middle of nowhere. I've been here four days. I don't have anything to make it. Like, naturally, we start kind of like getting worried. Like, how am I going to feed myself? And so the tempter comes. The devil comes. And he says to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And how does Jesus respond? He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil takes him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and he has him stand on the highest point of the temple. 
He says, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, that you will not strike your foot against the stone, so you won't get hurt. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, if you will be distracted. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In these verses, Satan is trying to get Jesus to worry by distracting him from the truth. And each time, Jesus rejects the worry or the distraction and focuses himself and his response on the truth of God's own design. He seeks God rather than his need or Satan's temptation. And because of this, even when he is in desperate need of food, he does not worry. This is exactly what Jesus is communicating to us in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 3, he says, focus on the kingdom. Focus on me, and you'll have everything that you need. We need to seek him first, his design. In fact, we just really need to seek him. That's why sometimes, like before worship, like today, I read that little quote from that book, or I'll, I'll try to focus us somehow. Um, because sometimes when we come in here, we come in with a lot of like distraction, right? Like there's a lot of things going on in your life that take your attention off the Lord and, and put it onto you or what's going on around you. And if, if we don't peel, if we're not careful at the beginning of our time together to peel those things away, we're not actually able to worship God because our attention is here and not there. We carry our worry into our worship and our Worry distracts us from, from our worship. And, and because of that, sometimes when we're, we, we are physically in this place, but it has no impact. Like worship is first about the Lord, about telling Him how great He is and how marvelous He is and wonderful He is. But when we get our attention on Him, one of the like benefits, like the side benefits of that, is it affects us as well. It, it like breathes life into us. And we are robbed of that when we carry our worry into worship because we can never get to the point where we look at him and are able to tell him how great he is because we're so focused here. We need to want God more than anything else. Love him more than anything else, any of our fears or any of our desires or any of our worry. We have to focus on Him so He can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Provide for our needs in such a way that we are never left wanting. Provide in a full, complete, and lasting way to provide us life. That's the point. He says, those flowers of the field clothe that grass. And there's no work there to make that happen. God just does it. And the birds of the air, they don't like sow seed and then reap it and then store it in a barn so that at one point when there's no more in the ground, they they can go to their barn and they can pull it out and have something to eat. They don't worry about any of that. 
They just trust God for everything they need. We're supposed to do the same. Now, I'm not, Jesus here is not advocating that you just go home and sit on your couch and like pray and say, okay, God, give me everything, bring everything to me. That's not at all what he's advocating. The birds of the air, they actually go out and they pick up food and they work for it. Like, and we need to, but what he's saying is when you step out to do something, don't step out thinking that you're the one who's going to make it happen. You step out in faith with your eyes on Jesus, not knowing where this is going to go, but know that you have to step out and do something and trust in the act of faith of stepping out that he is going to meet you there and provide for you. My dad used to tell me, John, when you walk or when you run or when you drive, don't look straight down in front of you. Always look out ahead of you. Some of you parents, I just saw a parent looking at their kid right now and just saying, see, I told you. See, yeah. So we always look out. We don't look down. Too often spiritually, what we do is we're always looking down and not looking out. Because of that, we trip, we stumble, and we fall. And we miss out, not just on the provision that God has for us, but on the life that God has for us. Earlier I had mentioned um, a coffee that I had with another pastor, where God challenged me and my lack of transparency with that guy. He had shared some personal stuff, and I hadn't, I'd only shared good stuff, not harder stuff. He had shared some harder stuff. And after that prayer, I opened up to that pastor. I shared something that I needed prayer for. I was kind of vulnerable with him. I shared a, a little bit of a weakness. And you know what happened? When I did that, he loved me. And he encouraged me. And then he said, you know what, John, we just prayed, but I would really like to pray for you again. And he prayed for me. This is how it works. We don't have to worry about the perception of others. We don't have to worry about our future. We don't have to worry about our finances. We don't have to worry about our kids. The antidote for you is the same as it was for me and as it was 2,000 years ago for the people that Jesus first taught this to in Matthew 6. Worry is a result of distraction. Worry happens when we take our eyes off the ball, when we focus on the things of this world, even the important things, instead of Jesus. And when we aren't focused on Him, we begin to believe the lie that we have to provide for ourselves. And that we aren't up to the challenge and we're not going to make the cut. When I took my eyes off Christ, or me, and I put them on Christ, this week He helped me to see that I didn't have to worry. But that applies to all of us all the time. So um, here's the thing. The opposite of fear is freedom. Fear keeps us in shackles. It binds us to death. But when we focus on Jesus, the author of life, we have freedom. The shackles are loosed and we're able to live with a newly found hope and joy.
Because God is able to provide for us what we couldn't provide for ourselves. I, um, I feel like I say the same things over and over and over again. And I, I think I do say the same principles over and over and over again. Not because I want to be a broken record, but because it's truth. The thing is, it doesn't matter how much I say it, unless you believe it and live it, it will take no effect in your life. Just coming here and sitting here and hearing me talk or singing songs is not going to change you. What is going to change you is if you take this truth and by faith you begin to live it. And then what you're going to find is that this is not just words written on a page a couple thousand years ago that are irrelevant and ineffective. But what you're going to find is that it is truth and life and it will radically change your life. But that's something that you have to do. You have to have the faith, express the faith. You have to allow the Lord to do those things. I can't do them for you. But my hope, the reason I share about myself, the reason I share about some of my struggles, the reason I try to be you know, reasonably transparent up here, is because I want you to see that even somebody as broken and as like, insignificant and as useless as me, can be used by the Lord, but not because of me, but because of Him. When we put our eyes on Him, the sky is the limit to what can happen. God wants to heal you of your hurt. He wants to free you of your fear and your worry. And He is just waiting to do it. Like He's desperate to do it. But you have to allow him. I don't know. Um, you might not believe me, and if that's the case, you know that's okay. I hope you still co- come. Like I don't think the Holy Spirit has you here by accident. I think God wants you here to hear these things, and maybe He's just chipping, 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 chipping away at you. Maybe you've been here for a little while, and He's been chipping, chipping, chipping away at you, and you're realizing that some of this truth you haven't really just you haven't in faith put it into practice. And because of that, you kind of have like the shell of life, but really what's going on inside is some death. And you just don't want that anymore. You don't want those shackles anymore. You want to be freed. Maybe this is the first time for you. Maybe you've never like had a relationship with Jesus and you're hearing all this stuff and you're just like, that sounds good. I want life. What I've been striving after has been leaving me wanting, but I want to be like yearning and striving for like something that will really give me fulfillment eternally, like forever. And, and that's for me. And if that's, if that's you today, Jesus is so excited. He wants you even more at this moment than you want him, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and that's you, all we have to do is just ask him. Say, Lord, just confess our sin. Say, Lord, I have broken your heart. I have done things, said things, thought things that you didn't want me to do, that have separated me from you. But I believe that, Jesus, you have died for me, that you have taken my sin on yourself, paid the penalty for my sin that I should have paid. And because of my faith in who you are, I believe that you have saved me. And I am putting my eyes on you so that you can do what I can't do. And some of you, though, have done that a long time ago. But even though you've trusted Jesus for your eternity in your present, you haven't trusted him with it. You're still holding on to control. 
in certain areas. I don't know what those are. Maybe it's something you named this morning. Maybe it's something else. You're holding on to the control of it. And because of that, in that area of your life, while eternally you have life, presently you're experiencing some death. Because you're not allowing Jesus to be in charge of that part of your life. The hope is that Jesus isn't angry. He's not like, he's not like put out to the point where he's just like left you in that state of despair. But any moment that you are willing to surrender it and get your eyes back on him, he's willing to give you life in that area. He's not done with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't written you off. He wants that area of your life too. So this morning, we're about to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to close with that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now. And as we... They can come up. Yeah, come on up, guys. Um, as, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, um, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for us. But I, if, if you really want Jesus to change your life, you have to be engaged in that prayer. It's not enough just for me to pray over you. So I'm going to pray for a couple things. And um, if that's you, you just agree. You don't have to say amen out loud, although you can if you want. It's perfectly fine. Sometimes you can't hold it in. But you don't have to. But I'm going to pray for you and just affirm in your heart that that's you and let Jesus in so that you can have life, so that you can let go of the worry and the distraction and get refocused on him. So let's pray. Father, um, all of us come here this morning at different places. Some of us are coming this morning having had no relationship with you before we came. If that's you right now, just agree with me in this prayer in your heart. Just, just say, Lord, I, I know that I've been running from you. I know that I've wanted nothing to do with you. I know that I have done things that have broken your heart. I've said things and thought things, done things that have put some distance between me and you. That's... That, that's sin, you know? And it's brought death into my life and I don't want that separation from you because I know you're the source of life. And so today, in Jesus' name, I believe, Jesus, that, that you have died for my sin, that you have paid the price for it. So I don't have to. And because of that, because of my faith in what you have done, your death and your resurrection, I believe that now I have life in you. Just as you have life, I have, I have life. If that's you, that the heavens are rejoicing this morning and we are rejoicing with the heavens because life forever has now become, has come to you. Others of us this morning um, maybe need to agree with me in this. Lord, while I, I've surrendered my eternity, my life to you and you've saved me for eternity in the past, I know that I've been living in ways in the present that have brought death to me places that I've kind of walled you off from, have kept you out of because I want to hold on to them. Maybe it's a, an area where, of control where I'm worried that maybe you won't come through and I'm afraid if I surrender it, something's going to happen that I won't be comfortable with that I don't like and so I just want to hold on to it or, or maybe it's a sin issue, a real sin issue that I just don't want to give up but I know I need to. And That's you today. We just... Let's pray this together. Father, we've been holding on to this stuff that we don't want, that we don't need. We've been worrying about things that you can provide for that we ultimately we can't even. It's just this backwards thinking, but I know we've been doing it. I know I've been doing it. And so I just want to refocus myself, stop being distracted by trying to do things myself and refocus on you and let you do it. So right now in this moment, I'm giving it over to you, Jesus. 
please take control of this area of my life. Please. Please, and free me. Free me from the shackles of that kind of death that I've had so that I can enjoy life in that, that area of my, my being. And so that I can actually have that need met in a much better and fuller and permanent way. And if it's a real deep-seated sin, Lord, Lord, pray this, Father, I know that what I've been doing has been breaking your heart. I know it has been the opposite of what you want from me. I know that it has been bringing me death and, and I just need to be delivered from it. I can't get it right on my own. So Lord, I give it to you now. Please forgive me for this sin. In Jesus' name, please wash me clean. Please bring me brothers and sisters who will help me to overcome it so that I can live in victory and have life. Father, we thank you for not leaving us in our sin. We thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. We thank you for being incredibly patient with us and generous and gentle and kind. We thank you also that that you hate sin. You despise it. And, and that you've provided a way out for us. Thank you for paying the penalty for our sin through what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for us, and thank you for not staying dead, but for, for conquering death, so that in you we may enjoy life, not just here, but for eternity. We pray as we celebrate this morning, as we celebrate what you have accomplished for us through the Lord's Supper, that it would be pleasing to you, that you would be glorified through it. That you would be known in this community by the way we love each other and maybe this is the chief way that we express that. So Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us as we continue to celebrate and worship so that you would be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. So on that night that Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, he took bread, he broke it, And he passed it around to his disciples and he said to them, Take and eat, for this is my body which was broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then later in the meal, he took the cup and he passed it around to them and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant which was poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Today we're going to celebrate similar to the way we did last time. Uh, It's a little different, I know. We're going to invite you to come down the center aisle. There's actually going to be two stations this time. There'll be a pair over here with with juice and bread, and there'll be another pair over here with juice and bread. And you can come to the side where you're sitting. You can receive the bread. And someone will say, this is like Christ's body broken for you or something to that effect. And you can respond by saying amen or hallelujah or praise God or just silently in your hearts. That's fine as well. And then you'll be offered the cup. And we ask that you not drink out of it. I mean, if if you do, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, but we typically dip, so you'll take the piece of bread you were given, you can dip it in there, and then you can say praise God, or amen, or hallelujah, or just silently in your heart praise God for what he has done, and then you may eat it immediately, and you may stay at the front and pray if you want, either side, you can go back to your seats and pray, there are tables in the back if you need some more private space, grab somebody to pray with you if you'd like, that's fine too, whatever you do, we just pray that you stay focused on Jesus, because when we stay focused on Jesus, worry melts away, we know that he is able to accomplish everything that we can't.
So let's give him our attention. Let's continue to worship him today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you're serving, would you please come forward? And after they come forward, you may come by the center aisle and then process back through the side aisle as we celebrate. Come as the Lord leads you, and let's celebrate what he has done.